Hi, I'm Tanisha Collins from Future Men and Fatherhood, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is on the pulse of news, on a pulse of news, a very slow pulse, but we're here. I'm your host Craig and I'm here to lead a discussion about all the nerdy news or some of the nerdy news that released in August, apart from the stuff that will invariably break the second after we start recording. So joining me this month, it's his turn again. Isaac, welcome back. Hello, how's it going? I'm going good, I'm going good. How are you? Yeah, lovely. Just a long day, but... Anyway, long day, long yeah. day of real life, and now back to the wonderful world of just comic book content. movies and content and nerdy stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's the stuff. But before we get to that, why don't we just talk a bit about what we've been consuming in the world of entertainment? So, you've been watching anything, reading anything, playing anything? I am excited for an upcoming comic event because I've not really been reading much at the moment, but it's Batman Fear State. It's going to be the first proper Scarecrow story. We love Scarecrow. I think he's a really underused villain. The first one ever. The idea is that this will hopefully be his sort of killing joke or his big, I think it's James Tierney in the fourth, doing the current issues. And he's sort of saying he wants to do more big name, go-to comics for people like Scarecrow or Penguin or Poison Ivy that don't really have a, this is the one to read thing. So he's kicking it off with Scarecrow Fear State. It starts this Wednesday, so they're straight into the so we are 1st of September. And I've just been reading lots of stuff leading up to it, and it just sounds very intense and really fun, so I'm looking forward to that. By the time listeners listen to this, you'll have read the first issue. Yeah. Because we release yeah. on the 6th of September. So, so don't yeah. go back in time and tell me all the spoilers. <laughs> I can wait. <laughs> You've been watching anything or not? Not too much. Nothing that's not repeats of stuff I've seen loads of times. <laughs> Fair enough. And anything to plug? Anything you want to plug for us? Your art on the Flash podcast, which is our most recent release, of course. Yeah. You did that and it was great. Thank you. And yeah, we've got a couple of banners in the works, but oh, it's just been a listeners in Edinburgh. You know that Edinburgh is a busy place in August. And yeah, getting extra time stuff done is always a bit of a nightmare around now. So other than the banners, there's not too much creative going on. Cool. What have I been watching? I've been watching the usual roundup of DC shows. I've been watching Superman and Lois, which is now finished. Chris and I recorded a podcast, which is in the editing backlog as we speak. I haven't even started it as of time of recording, but I'll get around to that soon. It was a good discussion. We had fun chatting about the show. It's now finished until... Whenever they decide to bring out season two, I think that's a mid-season release. I'm not sure. I've been watching and reviewing Legends of Tomorrow, which has one episode left as of time of recording. On release day, its final episode will be out. And then it's only off for a month because of the way timings work. They're bringing the next season out in October and they finish in September. So that's got to be the quickest turnaround between seasons I've ever seen on a show like that. I don't think it's ever been as quick as that before, but just the way things have gone, I suppose. So that's happening. Supergirl's back for its final run of episodes. Its first episode back, they tackled a bit of climate change. They just decided, oh, the oceans are dying and we should fix it. And then they failed to fix it. And then they turned climate change into something they could punch. So that's what they do on Supergirl. They handle big issues with a lack of subtlety. And I love it for it because 
it's just the way it is. It's what the thing does. Been watching Lord X, the Star Trek Lord X oh, show, yeah, yeah. animated Star Trek show, loving it. And I'm also co-hosting a podcast over on the We Made This Network about that called Rarely Going. The most recent episode, the third episode, again, as of time of recording, the fourth episode will be someone else, but I hosted that one. So you can go over and listen to that if you watch the show, but I love it. It's a really good show. Oh yeah, and What If, the Marvel show What If, reviewing that and loving it so far. I'm really enjoying just playing around in the what ifiness of the Marvel Universe. Pretty good. I've seen a bunch of films. I did promise I would give my thoughts on Jungle Cruise and The Suicide Squad last month because I was seeing them at the end of the week after we recorded at that point. Jungle Cruise, I really enjoyed. It's just a really good way of turning a ride into a film. That's all it is. And The Rock is who he is. He is being positioned as a romantic lead in the film, which doesn't really work for him, though. He is not a romantic lead and he doesn't work as a romantic lead. But it was good. Good fun, and they're doing a sequel. Apparently, that's in development. What the sequel will be, I have no idea, but that's not for me to decide. It's just happening. The Suicide Squad, I absolutely loved that as well. I thought it was bonkers. You weren't a huge fan of it, though, were you? No, I couldn't get into it. Uh, I think it just wasn't for me. Yeah, fair. Kat and I recorded a podcast on that, which is also in the editing backlog. Hopefully, it won't be too long before I can share it with the world but if you want our thoughts on that really good discussion there as well i saw free guy which i absolutely loved it was just a great fun little blockbuster ryan reynolds was amazing the world they set up was really fun and it was just a good time there's also a sequel in the works for that i'm not sure how they can do that but i will share what's possibly even more entertaining than the film itself a weird cinema story of other people in the cinema this couple that were sitting right near me I hope they're listening, because that'd be hilarious. But if they're not, then whatever. The guy brought out a box of Nesquik, two bowls, porcelain bowls, and a spoon and some milk. And him and the person he was with, the woman he was with, had a couple of bowls of cereal just over the course of the film. A couple of bowls of Nesquik. It's the weirdest snacking thing I've ever seen in a cinema or anywhere. Was it a breakfast screening? No, it was at just after five o'clock. Late riser. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Maybe they were students, I have no idea. But they did that, and it kept distracting me from the film because I just couldn't believe it was happening. But it seemed appropriate for Free Guy, I suppose, this kind of video game-inspired Twitch streamer love letter type thing, and there's two people just munching on cereal in the middle of a cinema. One of the boldest snack choices I've ever seen. I used to think I was weird bringing in sandwiches, but nah, they've beaten me. No, I don't think I've seen anything more weird than cereal in the cinema. It's the bar now. We've set the standard. Yep. Someone has to find something weirder. Challenge for the listeners. Yeah, that's a challenge for the month. If you've had a weird cinema experience involving other people with snacks, or maybe yourself with snacks, let us know, and we'll shout you out next month. Or try Go Weirder. Do a whole rotisserie chicken or <laughs> slow cooker just under your chair. I do have a friend that brought in a whole Five Guys meal once. Apparently, they did that with a burger and stuff, munching on that in the cinema. So that happened. I've also seen Reminiscence and wished I hadn't. It was dreadful. It was so poorly constructed and just poorly done, just awful. Usually, Hugh Jackman's a good shout most of the time, but in this, I don't know what they were trying to get at here, but it was just pretty painful to watch. So I wouldn't recommend watching it. Conceptually, there's good ideas there, there's a lot of potential in what they were trying to do, but I don't know what they were actually trying to do. They failed to capture my attention anyway, so I wouldn't recommend that. It's not the best. I'm vaguely aware of Reminiscence, and I'm a bit looking fine. (laughs) 
Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. And I also saw Candyman, the oh, 2021 yeah, version, and everyone's raving about it, but I was kind of lukewarm on it. I didn't engage with it that much. Didn't find it all that scary. I didn't find the plot all that interesting. I wasn't all that grabbed by any of the characters. So not really for me. Being hailed as an unmissable horror experience or whatever, but I don't see it. Is it like a reboot or is it following on? Because I've not seen any of the Candymans. Is it this horror character like Jason or whoever where it's always a new gang and they're like, oh, there's a legend of the Candyman sort of thing? Or is it one where you have to follow on? It's definitely a follow-up of the first one, of the original, but it's very loosely talk about the events of the first film. And there's a connection in there that I won't spoil that they make use of. But on the whole, it just kind of stands on its own and it expands the mythology of the whole Candyman premise as well. You don't need to have seen the first film to get what it's going for because they do talk about a lot of past events. This happened in this year and this happened here and it just so happens that one of the things they talk about is the events of the first film. You'd be okay if you just watched that one and didn't bother with the original. The original's really good though. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend skipping that one. In terms of watching this one, I would say, yeah, give it a go. There's worse things, but I wasn't hugely grabbed by it. Teach their own. If you like that sort of stuff, then you might get along with it. Otherwise, maybe not. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen a lot of things. The only thing I have to plug is what I've already plugged the podcast over on We Made This Rarely Going, where I've done one episode so far and I'll be oh, doing yeah. more. I haven't done much on We Made This over the past month. Other than my reviews as well. I do reviews on a lot of the TV shows I've mentioned and some of the films. I don't know if I'll review Reminiscence or Candyman. I haven't yet. So probably not. The moment has kind of passed a little bit. Yeah. But Maybe I will. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, same. But otherwise, let's move on to some trailers. Let's see what trailers I've managed to dredge up. There's quite a few. Not as many as there was last month or the month before or whatever, but we've got a few things. Let's start off with The Kingsman, prequel to Kingsman, and it's about the start of the Kingsman organisation. You've got Ray Fiennes in it. You've got Rasputin as a character. You've got themes World War One is featured. It looks good. I like the Kingsman movies, the, the two of them as they are. I have my issues with... Both of them, actually, but I do think they're pretty good. Matthew Vaughn is a director I really like. He made the best X-Men film. Still the best X-Men film, so he's good at what he does. I like to look at this, the prequel side of it. I guess it had to happen sometime they were going to show us the origins of this organisation. And I'm not against it. I haven't read any of the comics, so I don't know the ins and outs of how that all works. It's a Mark Miller or Millar creation, isn't it? I think so, yeah. But I don't know the ins and outs of, of those comics. But this film looks good. Hopefully it'll be on par with the other two, at least. Uh, like the trailer, it seemed to have a few things going for it. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I've seen the first one, which was a one-time watch sort of thing. It wasn't like amazing and i'm not seeing the second one but this one looks quite fun i think it's a clever idea to go back to like world war one where the gadgets are more not silly but the previous kingsmen were set in present day so gadgets aren't as necessary whereas in world war one you can have more fun with radios and transmitters and a bit more i guess steampunky looking gadgets and rasputin's got the cross assassin dagger thingy going on so this one looks quite fun ray finds is always lovely especially when he's playing a sort of posh debonair action person i wasn't that interested really because i was not fussed in the, the franchise but this one does look quite good so it could be worth catching at the cinema yeah it's out at christmas according to the trailer at least for now so i'll probably try and revisit the other two before i watch this one 
just to familiarise myself, even though there'll be no point because it's a prequel. But there'll be some references to the other films, little winks. Yeah, Exu's great-great-grandfather or something. or Yeah, something like that. Colin First Family Bloodline or something will be in there. Yeah, they usually do things in prequels, don't they? Yeah. Where they just nod at the older stuff, the older stuff that's set after. Looks good fun. And there's quite a lot of salty language in the trailer as well, as you might expect. Because that is prevalent in the other two. Yeah. Okay, next up we have Prisoners of the Ghostland. It's another Nicolas Cage does something mental film. In this one he's got bombs attached to various parts of his body and he has to fight people. And that's about it. That's pretty fun. I like Nicolas Cage and I like him in those sorts of films. I still haven't seen things like Jiu-Jitsu and some of the other stuff he's been in recently. I did see Pig, which is prestige Nicolas Cage. That's when he proves that he can act like he does every few years. He'll do a film where it's, oh, wow, this is impressive. This is why we like this guy. So this is a crazy film. It reminded me a bit of The Running Man in a way, actually. These criminals or whatever, just fighting for people's amusement and getting blown up, potentially. Trailer looks fun. I'll hopefully get to opportunity to see it. It doesn't look weird for any reason, though. It's kind of like a Colonel Sanders KFC guy who wants his daughter back. And he's putting bombs on Nicolas Cage. So he has a time limit, which seems to be just for no reason other than because it's just a wacky thing. But a lot of this trailer feels like this is just unnecessarily odd. How much nonsense can we put in, even if it's just for the sake of nonsense? That seems to be quite the gimmick. Not sure if I feel I need to see it. A good 40% of the trailer is just text on the screen from publications raving about it as well. I just enjoyed that they put us it. Nicholas Gage saying, this is the craziest thing. I have like a giant bold <laughs> red letters. This is the craziest thing I've done to give it extra crazy. I refuse to believe that that's the craziest thing Nicholas Cage has ever done. But maybe it is. I'm always wary of those trailers where they are just slapping pool quotes and stuff all over it. It tends to suggest that we don't have a lot of visual content to try and sell this. So here's people that saw it at a festival raving about it. It's just constantly like every like 30 seconds or so. It's just like, it's so crazy. This is so crazy. But why? <laughs> Show me. Yeah, don't don't tip. I don't care what variety had to say about it. I want to just see it. A lot of it looked like it was stuff for the sake of stuff, but for no actual reason. Yeah. And I do have a bit of a blind spot for Nicolas Cage, so I will tend to want to watch films that he's in, even if they're going to be terrible, which on average, probably they're going to be, to be honest, because he's probably made as many bad films as he has good films. Or there's films that he's in that I enjoy, even though they're not that good, just because he does something wacky in there and he, he makes it watchable. Yeah. He's a very strange actor as Nicolas Cage. But I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah, he's definitely the person you get in for this kind of thing. Yeah, and he's paying off several castles, so he'll probably do whatever you ask him to do. Weird dude, by all accounts. Yeah, apparently so. Interesting man. He is an interesting man. And he's an interesting actor, so if I do get the opportunity to see this, probably in a cinema, I will watch it. Otherwise, it'll just form a queue on some streaming service that I'll never get to. That's the way it goes, unfortunately. Next up, we have something that we potentially in your wheelhouse, Star Wars Visions. This thing that I didn't hear about until I stumbled onto the trailer when I was looking for content for this list. It's an anime Star Wars thing, which seems like a marriage that should have happened sooner than it has. This looks great. This is my favourite of what we've got for this month's one, because it's recognisably Star Wars stuff, but totally separate to anything we've had. Each episode is a different creative group i think there was a documentary-ish trailer where it's like we gave these animation teams and these different writers and directors like do whatever you want there's no limits so each one is a separate little story and it's just imagination's running very wild there's like nine armed lightsaber whip people and 
it looks like Astro Boy or some like little Astro Boy flying around. I love to see like just random Star Wars characters going, oh, did you hear about that? It's going to be Sith Ninja with that whip. <laughs> he built that whole planet. And it's just like, oh yeah. Obviously it's a separate thingy, but outside of what we've seen, just this whole galaxy of nonsense is just going on with the craziest, biggest action. What is it? Ten separate stories set at different points in the timeline? Yeah, there was no limit to, you can do whatever you want with this as long as it's Star wars E. You can set it whenever you want. It's out of continuity or whatever. So and it looks like, compared to what we usually get with Star Wars, where it's a very small galaxy and everyone knows Luke Skywalker somehow, where this is just totally separate, totally wild. So yeah, this is definitely, if we were to do a pick of the month, this is like my most anticipated of all the trailers. Is the final product going to be in Japanese with subtitles, or is that just the trailer that I found? It's up to the team, I think. So I think some are doing it with dubs and some will do with subtitles. It just depends on whatever the creators wanted to do with their episode, I think. I probably will never see this, but it looks good fun. And I do like when the lunacy of Star Wars is played with because it doesn't seem to happen enough. So I do like the idea of this heightened reality of these space wizards just doing crazy stuff. And it all works in that whole anime capacity. It almost reminds me of that Clone Wars animation that they did, not the the cartoon that ran for several seasons. The two-minute ones, yeah. Well, it was a bunch of shorts and they cut them together, yeah. Where you've got Mace Windu just punching out battle droids and things like that, and the Jedi are just insanely powerful. The great one with Grievous, when he's just hunting down this gang of Jedi and it's really terrifying inside this crashed-out spaceship. It's super fun. And there's things in that trailer. Return to famous places and it shows you Tatooine and they're about to do a pod race or something. It's stuff like that. So yeah, I think there'll be enough recognisable Star wars stuff, but it'll just be around, hopefully, very diverse and interesting little stories. Yeah, cool. You can let us know at some point if you watched it and enjoyed it. I'm guessing we can talk about it at some later date. Yeah, if I don't forget about it, I'll let you know. If you don't forget about it, it's always the risk, isn't it? Next trailer, Why the Last Man, the long-awaited adaptation of the comic of the same name. I haven't read these comics, but I do understand that all men die for some reason and then there's one guy that's left and he becomes very sought after with the women and the trailer for this, it looks really good. It gave me a bit of a Game of Thrones vibe in a way, even though I haven't really ever watched Game of Thrones, but it gave me that sort of a vibe. You know, that sort of HBO-ish aesthetic, I guess. It seems along those lines. I'm interested in it. It's a Disney thing. I think we get it on Disney Plus over here. It's on Hulu, wherever there's Hulu. And it's out before the end of September. Middle of September, I think it's out. So it won't be that long until people get to see what it looks like. I think the first three episodes are dropping immediately. And then after that, it's one a week. But it looks good. They've been trying to do this forever, haven't they? Yeah. It's been one of these shows that's been passed around through different developers and different writing teams. I feel this is something that's gone at least since two years or so. They've been trying to make Why the Last Man a TV show. Yeah, it's one of those, we're trying to develop this, we're trying to get writers, we're trying to get cast, we're trying to get whatever, and they just never get anywhere with it. And now it's made somehow. I don't know very much about the comic other than what I said, that there's literally one man left on Earth called Yorick, and that's him. I think it's something to do with the chromosomes. That's also why it's why. It's similar to like a Children of Men or a thingy where a certain element of the population has died off and they have to kind of exist onwards. I know a few people are very big fans of it, but I've never actually jumped into it. And women either hate or love him. I'm not sure which it is. Maybe both? Yeah, maybe it changes along the way. Depends on the women, I suppose. Yeah. It's happening. I'll try and give it a watch, maybe. It does seem like it could be kind of interesting. And not knowing the comic might enhance my experience in a way because I don't really have any expectations going in. It's just something I'm aware of as being a thing that's been doing the rounds for a long time and people talk about it. And yeah. Sometimes 
someone who's into comic books will say to me, have you ever read Why the Last Man? And then I'll say no. And then the conversation ends because can't go any further than that, really. I know it's one of these high sort of prestige ones that a lot of people really love. And it's like, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually, but probably won't. <laughs> one of these days. You'll get a trade paperback in a bargain bin and then you'll read it, maybe. Well, I'll try and lend it off someone and then not forget that I have it. Okay, next trailer. This has been delayed twice since the trailer came out. I think it's not out until next year now. That's the latest report. But we have a second trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, or Venom 2, as it's more commonly known. And this trailer gives you a bit more than the first one. There's a weird tense living situation vibe going on between Eddie and Venom, which is something I can personally relate to. They're having difficulty getting along in their odd couple ways, and Venom is acting out and punching him in the face or headbutting him in the face and stuff like that. So that looks like they're retaining that from the first film. That was the best part for me was the Venom... Eddie Brock dynamic that was the best part so it's good that we're getting that and the trailer does show that other people in this universe have superpowers as well there's someone with a sonic scream in the Ravencroft facility yeah looks pretty good Carnage actually looks really menacing it doesn't look like a palette swap with Venom like whatever it was called in the first one yeah I can't remember Riz Ahmed that's all I remember it was Riz Ahmed Vengeance yeah that one Hunger or something like that. Who cares? Doesn't matter. It's just silver Venom this looks like more of the same world Cletus Cassidy looks terrifying as just Woody Harrelson. We see bits of Carnage. We don't see him as Carnage talking or anything. He's got a very creepy thing around him anyway, so I don't know how creepy he'll get once he can eat people. But yeah, the first one was fine. I mean, it's kind of not an easy job, but it's two very popular characters that are just going to fight for a film. So it should be okay. I was never a huge fan of the Carnage character in the comics. I always had issues with him just because there's not a lot of substance there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here. But I'm also still annoyed that we have a Venom franchise with nothing to do with Spider-Man. Just nothing at all. Yeah, he's not a character I have read much of. I've just seen him in games or heard of stories with him in, so I don't know too much about him, other than just a serial killer that gets superpowers. It's essentially it. There's not much more to him than that. He's just a lunatic that gets abilities and then uses those abilities to kill people. Yeah. The symbiote, I think, bonds with his blood. I think that's why he's red. He cuts himself and the symbiote comes out. I don't know if they'll retain that here. Probably not. I did like when Carnage showed up and Venom went hiding inside Brock. They just unchanged. Come on, come out. I'll let you eat whoever you want. And they have that moment. What does the symbiote think's going to happen? If Carnage kills Eddie Brock, he's screwed anyway. Yeah, he's using him as a human shield. It's like, just take him. I don't care. It means you'll die too, but whatever. So if we ever see this film, it might be okay. Maybe, yeah. Just getting pushed back and pushed back. I'm hoping it's more focused than the first one, because the first one is a total mess. Yeah, I think there'll still be some of that flappy pasta in a nightclub look to some of the fights. Hopefully it's a bit more understandable than it was the first time around. It was Andy Serkis doing this one, so if he gets a bit of motion capture involved, there's probably no one better to play with that sort of thing. Yeah, he's only building on a previously built-up look, so it's still going to be squiggly-wiggly and Venom's going to be just a big mess of tentacles and noise. I don't know how much their motion capture can help with keeping that all focused. I don't know much about motion capture. Hopefully it's going to be more capable hands working with those kind of effects, so like I said, we'll see. It just looks a bit dated, and the first film felt like it came out in the early 2000s as well, so I think that this feels like it's along the same lines. Yeah. And then we'll see the Venom cameo and Morbius if that ever comes out, I'm guessing, when they try and connect all these things. I'm interested by the fact that there seems to be other people with powers in this universe, whether they're symbiote-based or not, I don't know. That might just be there's people with powers in this universe. Yeah, so it's going to be Silk and what's she called? Old Lady Spider 
lady. Or Madam Web. Yeah, Sony are sort of building on that. So yeah, they're probably going to be expanding it out and exploring those ones that they still have that aren't in the MCU yet and seeing where they can go. Yeah, because they renamed the universe again from Spunk to the Sony Spider-Man universe, I think they've just called it now, which is slightly better. I mean, it's still rubbish, but slightly better. Sony Spider-Man universe that does not contain Spider-Man for now. He might pop in, maybe, if they pay Disney enough money. <laughs> but who will it be playing him? Who knows? They can use Spider-Man whenever they want. It's Disney that have to pay the money to use him. It's just a bunch of Spider-Man characters, or characters adjacent to Spider-Man that are in films that don't contain Spider-Man. Might get like a hard-hitting, deadly bugle, journalistic thriller. Or as we discussed last month, me and Chris, we discussed Craven the Hunter. That's oh, the thing yeah, that's happening. Know, happening. Is that Jason Momoa, or do they get someone else? No, no, it's Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Okay, I guess. <laughs> Why not? It makes about as much sense as anything yeah, sure. else they're doing. Jason Momoa is Craven the Hunter? I don't know. I don't know if I'd like that. It's more of a Lobo. I don't like Craven the Hunter, so I'm not that bothered. I just don't want to make it. Yeah, it's another one I don't know much about. He's just a big hunter. Sometimes he's immortal, I think. Or not. Sometimes, yeah. I think it just depends. depends on what they want him to do. Okay, so we've got a couple of Marvel trailers now. We have another trailer for The Eternals, one that gives you a bit more context. I like the look of this film, and I like the nods to mythology that we're getting in this trailer they explain why they didn't get involved in thanos because they were told not to by celestials i guess there's something about the emergence which is happening because of the snap whatever the emergence is it seems like bad news and you have three tiers of beings you've got the celestials who are in charge of the eternals and probably created them the eternals who are the people that we focus on the powered people that we focus on and the deviants which seem to be these weird creatures that they fight they exist to stop the deviants from harming people so quite a bit of mythology here the actors get to use their native accents for the most part by the looks of things which is novel visuals look cool it seems like it could be a really good expansion for the mcu based on this content yeah, it's much more cosmic but i think also because it's a lot of world building that we don't know yet all the stuff they explain is stuff we still don't understand why couldn't you all join in because we were told to by i forgot the name already the eternal boss of celestial we still don't know what that is either so that's I guess a kind of explanation. Some other person you haven't met, you know, told you. I don't know if it's a hard one to market because it's a whole new separate thing. It's almost totally separate to any MCU stuff as far as I can see. They only mention Thanos and Iron Man and Captain America, but it's difficult to get interested <laughs> because I don't know who anyone is. You know, obviously Marvel's done this before with like Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff and it's worked wonders. But after watching the trailer, I still don't know. At least with Guardians, you have Chris Pratt, he's the human one, and there was a big tree, and there was a raccoon, and Dave Bautista was the funny one. Whereas here, it's like, one of them's, I think, fast, and one of them's like Wonder Woman, and the guy from Game of Thrones can fire lasers. The costumes, they don't stand out enough. They all wear like a Power Rangers-style uniform with a little bit of different colours. I can't remember, except Angelina Jolie, who I guess is the boss, because she has the gold gear on. But the rest are just kind of wearing slightly different coloured spacey combat stuff. Without us seen the movie and it's another world of the comics that i haven't read either there's no character looking characters yet obviously in the film we'll learn who they are and their names and stuff for the moment it's just some sort of magic strangers it's quite difficult to get excited about well the thing with guardians of the galaxy because you mentioned that being the last thing that marvel did that people were like what the hell is this or it's a hard concept to grasp or whatever the hook there was the music and the comedy that's what the marketing was hanging itself on whereas with eternals i feel like there's no obvious hook other than these people have been around and we haven't seen them yet. The first trailer doesn't tell you much at all, but the first trailer has a lot of references to other Marvel characters. And this trailer is quite mythology heavy. So 
it seems like they're trying to scramble for something to connect to. It's almost like after the first trailer, they caught and on to the fact in the internet, people were asking, why weren't these people involved in Thanos invaded and things like that? And they've just released a trailer that answers that question to some degree. But do you need to answer this question in a trailer? I mean, just leave people wondering until they see the film and then it will tell you. Yeah, like I was saying, I sort of watched the trailer. Same with the first trailer. I watched it and I kind of forgot it. It didn't really stick. Marvel had been on a pretty hot streak, so I'm sure it'll be worth watching. But it's just watching the trailer, I'm not excited about this arriving compared to the other stuff that they've brought out. But it could be brilliant and wild and fun and weird. So like WandaVision and Loki, which were pushing the envelope of what superhero movie or superhero show can be. So if it sort of continues that trend, that'd be really good. But it's very difficult to market this, I think. It's a bunch of strangers versus another bunch of strangers. That's not too far away. November-ish? Early November. So, yeah, it's not far away at all. A couple of months. Soon find out. Shang-Chi is out in a couple of days as of recording. I've not seen it yet. They did release another trailer, but I'm not talking about it because by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have seen it. There'll be a podcast about that too, because there always is about a Marvel film. So we'll be doing that. Eternals? I'm keen for it. I'm interested. I don't know an awful lot about these characters either. So it's a learning experience for me. I'm not one of those comic fans that pretends to know everything. When all I'm actually doing is reading Wikipedia verbatim. If this had come out like a non-Marvel or non-DC one, if it just come out, oh, we're making a movie, it's The Eternals, would you have been interested? Or would you have been like, this looks kind of vague? I think in this case, the Marvel name is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for people. Yeah, although I found a lot of recent Marvel trailers have been pretty underwhelming, so... I'm basically going to see these on the strength of the fact that I like Marvel stuff. Yeah, they're not the best at trailers. But also, people are going to watch them anyway, so it's not such a big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Marvel trailers, we have finally got a trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home. And you were lucky enough to land on a month where we get to talk about the trailer for that. So, well done. We were all wondering for months, when is it going to appear? Who gets to talk about it? It was always going to be me, of course, but... You're the one that gets to talk about it. So what did you think of the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> After all that build up. Yeah, it's fine. Obviously, the first time we heard of this and we knew they were bringing back Electro and Doc Ock and probably some other people, that was pre-multiverse stuff. So now it's more interesting because we know this is the fallout from WandaVision and Loki and it's continuing that sort of thingy. So that's interesting now because we're getting into this weird world of crossover stuff. Also, I do kind of wish that because now they can't do probably Electro, or definitely Electro, Green Goblin, and Killer Croc, and maybe the Lizard. I think you mean Doc Ock, not Killer Croc. Oh yeah, or maybe Killer Croc. Oh, maybe Multiverse. It could be Killer Croc. That'd be a twist. Because that means they can't do another go at them, or they probably won't do another go at them. That's my favourite part. Is how are they going to bring Norman Osborn and Oscorp in? It's like, oh, let's just pull them out of what you already know. It's not as fun. I've ever heard when it's like, I don't know, maybe Oscorp is going to buy up. Stark Industries, and it's always fun to bring in characters in a fresh, different way of doing it than just like, oh yeah, it's just that guy you've already seen. We know their story. <laughs> it's just them again. I mean, it's nice for nostalgia stuff, but personally, I prefer if it was a new go at it. Like in the oh yeah, spoilers for the PS4 Spider-Man game, where we have some Peter Parker working with Dr. Octavius. And that's really fun. Obviously, we know what's happening, but like, as far as I'm aware, that isn't the standard setup. I don't think Spider-Man had... Actually, no, had he? I don't know much about Spider-Man. He had looked up to... Dr. Octavius Hunty, like as a hero. Not in the comics originally, no. It's just someone that he encounters. But if you look at, say, the 90s cartoon, there was this science camp backstory where Dr. Octavius was a teacher there. In 
spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. He doesn't know Octavius before he goes crazy. Spider-Man 2, obviously, they've got that pre-existing relationship. Yeah. So I think it's kind of fun to do different stuff with characters. Obviously, I still have Tom Holland's one who hasn't met them. And like I said, Doc Ock could be a goodie. We don't know because he has a redemption at the end of Spider-Man 2. Or it could be like a different one from a different world and we don't know anything about him. One where he won or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch him in the cinemas because I wasn't into the comic book movies at the time. So I haven't got as much of a nostalgic pull on these ones. So maybe I'm the wrong person to have landed this month on. Maybe you should have had another guess. <laughs> There's a few things that you can note from the trailer. I didn't noticed this but someone pointed out that in spider-man 2 when he's being controlled by the tentacles there's a red light at the end of the arms and when octavius is in control it's a white light and in the trailer it's a red light at the end of the tentacle that you see so it suggests that he's been controlled by the tentacles yeah i really hope that de-aging is not the final render though i hope they're doing a bit more work on that because that is awful it looks so bad. It could be another case of there might be other people behind him or around him that are hiding. And they might be like, I don't know, the rhino or something. Or anyone. The spot. Or it's just an unfinished effect. Yeah. The spot. <laughs> in all these trailers, I think there's like a wide shot where Tom Holland stood in the middle and there's all this empty space around him. It's like, okay, there's going to be people stood there and there's going to be people stood there that we're not allowed to see yet. Yeah, and Doc Ock says, hello, Peter, at the end of the trailer, which suggests that he's talking to Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker rather than Tom Holland. Because... Why would he say hello, Peter, to this Peter Parker that he doesn't know and wouldn't recognise? It's got a big t-shirt with Peter written on it. Yeah. He's been listening to J. Jonah Jameson's weird, shouty YouTube or whatever this version of Jameson is. The shock jock. Yeah. I think the trailer looks pretty good. It didn't grab me as much as I wanted it to. I think people feel a bit let down by it because of all the stuff that they were expecting to see and didn't because there's no Matt Murdock, who may or may not be in the film. He's not featured in the trailer. Obviously, you don't see Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield at all. The Green Goblin is hinted at. It's Willem Dafoe's laugh. I would really laugh if it turned out to be Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin rather than Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin just to disappoint everybody. Of course it will be Willem Dafoe. Or just some guy who found the grenades. He's like, I found these grenades. This is an office worker. I'm just a guy. (laughs) Yeah, these grenades just fall through the multiverse and they just decide to throw them. Just to see what happens. Could be. And Doctor Strange features quite heavily in the trailer. The Sanctum is covered in snow for some reason. I like that MCU Doctor Strange is a bit of an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) The same with Iron Man. It's these big sort of ego geniuses, but actually every decision they make is ill-thought out and just causes more problems than if they just hadn't bothered. And then Wong is like, don't you dare cast that spell. And Strange is like, yeah, sure. And then Wong just takes that at face value and leaves. He's like, bye, I'm off to fight the abomination in Shang-Chi or whatever. I'm off to do that, so I'll see you later. And then you just leave. There has to be more between those two scenes. You can't be like, don't you do this, I won't let you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Although Wong is historically work-shy in this universe, isn't he? It it was after Strange disappeared in Infinity War and he says to Bruce Banner, I'm just going to stay here. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm just going to stick around here. <laughs> and then he does. He just closes a portal and washes his hands of the whole thing. Which, yeah, you got to respect that. <laughs> I was like, I'm sick of this. <laughs> sick of this nonsense. Yeah, not doing it. Not doing it at all. But he casts a spell, so they're basing it a bit on one more day where everybody forgets Peter Parker's identity because of a spell. Maybe yeah. Strange's Mephisto. Maybe this is it, finally, yeah, Mephisto. Probably not. Probably I think not. he is strange. Yeah, it makes more sense. But it has been pointed out he's still wearing the Eye of Agamotto, which doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it's just a piece of decorative jewellery. It looks cool, though, yeah. I like wearing this. It's got nothing in it. It's just for decoration. 
Or maybe he wants people to think he still has the eye of Agamotto. Yeah, he doesn't want his enemies to know that he's like, I can control time. It's like, it's all a bluff. Yeah. But no, it looks good. They're picking up on the whole identity reveal thing. I liked the scene at the start with him and MJ, where she was reading the profile that was in the news about him. He uses his powers to control females. And he's like, stop reading that. She's like, yes, my spider lord. It's good. I like them too. Yeah, they've got good chemistry together. As a, was it their Spider-Man and MJ? They work well. One of the best parts of Far From Home is those two and Ned got the writing down for high school people not really knowing what life's like, but also one of them is a superhero. It's still carrying all the problems of MCU Spider-Man though. It's the something goes wrong, so I'm going to find an older person to help me. Yeah. <laughs> as he always does. It's not very autonomous. He can't solve anything himself. This time it's Doctor Strange. It was Tony Stark, then Nick Fury, and now Doctor Strange. And a bit happy in the middle as well. He's still there. Yeah, he sneaks up. Might be okay. I kind of need to see more to be convinced because I'm not sure what the angle is really here. So it's part of a identity type story, part of a multiverse type story. I don't know what the film is actually going to be really about. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like I said, we'll probably get a second trailer eventually that's a bit more story focused as opposed to visuals focused. Yeah, probably. But looks good for the most part. Looks pretty good. I am excited to see Alfred Molina again as Doc Ock. Even though I do agree with you, I would like to see an MCU version of Doc Ock, an MCU version of the Green Goblin, and so on. It just seems like we'll never get that. And I don't know how much longer Tom Holland's Peter Parker will be hanging around after this as well. So what opportunity will we have for different things after this point, really? It's difficult to say. They could bring in Miles Brannis or a Spider-Gwen or a Silk or any of those. They can move on the same way Sam Wilson's The New Captain America. Obviously, we've got Iron Heart coming up. It doesn't always have to be Peter Parker or Tony Stark or whoever the standard one is. We can start exploring the other characters who take up the mantles. Yeah. So, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. It's going to be out this Christmas. We might have another trailer to talk about eventually. We might get to see Toby and Andrew at some point before the film comes out. Although I'd kind of like to see them just in the film itself. I'd be okay with that. But we'll find out. So... That is it for trailers. We did have the Cinderella trailer on the list, but then I found out it was out before the podcast would be released or just after, so didn't see the point in talking about it. Plus, I don't really want to talk about it after that flash mob situation that was online. That was pretty horrific. James Corden dressed as a mouse, just thrusting in people's faces. The weird James Corden thrusting as a rat. I hadn't heard of the movie before it, so it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Just puts you off, though. uh, James Corden's in this. And then he's, he's soiled it with his antics. Yeah, no, it's not a good advert. Not every publicity is good publicity, but... Also, it's a bunch of celebrities disrupting traffic to do a flash mob thing. So it's just going to annoy people. And I think it did annoy people. I think that was the big takeaway from it. Yeah, no, it definitely backfired, whatever they were planning. <laughs> okay, we're done with trailers. So finally, Spider-Man. And then a big meh, I guess, across the board on the Spider-Man trailer. I mean, I'm excited about it in a way because I like Spider-Man, but... Yeah, it looks good. It's just I'm not sure about... Because I know they're doing the same with The Flash and they're getting Tim Burton's Batman. Michael Keaton and same sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that one is having more different stuff. They've got like the Supergirl and stuff. But yeah, it's just like, here's that villain you remember and here's that one. And it's half and half. I'm excited to see the movie, but I'm not sure how I feel about the nostalgia bomb of just villains from movies. But obviously we don't know how the story works. So it might be total benefit for the story. So we'll have to see once we see. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's move on to one of the... Three pillars 
our usual pillars of Marvel, DC and CW. So we'll start with Marvel. For Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, they've confirmed that Dominique Thorne's Ironheart Riri Williams will be making her debut in that film. That's all they've said. They haven't said what the capacity will be, what she'll be doing or why she's there, but she's going to be there and that's going to be her introduction. So that's cool. We get to meet her sooner than we expected. I don't know if she'll just be in it and not get her armour or maybe it's Wakanda that gives her the armour because they seem to be arming everyone up at the moment. Yeah, it's arming everyone, aren't they? (laughs) Vibranium armour. Indestructible. She seems like the sort of person to probably be friends with Shuri, both being young geniuses. So... Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of that with the movies and TV shows going forward. Obviously, we've got the Marvels coming up with Ms. Marvel and Monica Rambo, and her story started in WandaVision, so I think they will blend. Compared to the old Daredevil and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the current trend, like Disney Plus shows, they're going to really blend together with the movies, and it's going to be much more connected than previously. Yeah, the Disney Plus stuff is proper MCU stuff, rather than we've just decided it's not MCU stuff after the fact. But it remains to be seen whether we'll see Charlie Cox back as Daredevil and Spider-Man. Or at least as Matt Murdock in Spider-Man. I'm going to lean towards no. <laughs> Just with there's so much other stuff going on. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice. People will be so disappointed if he doesn't show up. Because <laughs> it's been hyped up for so long. So there's already so much other stuff in this movie. It's pretty crowded. Maybe it's like Murdock and Nelson and Associates who are those lawyers at the beginning, but it's not exactly him. But it might be like a nod. I think it might be more of that. Just some intern that they've hired. Yeah. But it's not actually them. You see them on the phone to Matt, but you don't see the other side of the phone call and that's the end of it. Everyone's just like, oh my God, that's so annoying. Why have you done this to us? Next bit of Marvel news is Anthony Mackie has closed a deal to definitely star in a Captain America movie where he'll be the lead. Malcolm Spellman, who was the head writer of the TV show, will be co-writing the movie and that's about it it's not confirmed that he's going to be in it with anyone else who was in the show although you would imagine at least Bucky will be there and Sharon Carter probably they left a lot of open questions at the end of that show this was never really in question it's formal but it's like Captain America is going to be in the Captain America movie yeah it'd be more surprising if it didn't happen yeah Captain America movie fronted by Anthony Mackie is something I'm very excited about I really love the TV show and the progression of that mantle. As you said, the legacy of these mantles being passed down to different characters who will then represent them is a really good thing. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that story will be and, and how that will come into play. Yeah, the show was fine. It seemed like it was the first half of a longer story. It's also quite well structured in the way that if you watch Endgame, you'll see Steve just give him the shield and then you can just assume what happens from there. So you don't actually need to watch the show to... yeah understand that he's going to be Captain America, but you get extra context. There'll be like power broker stuff and maybe US agent stuff. If you have watched the show, you'll be more up to speed, but it won't take too long if you haven't. I mean, power broker is kind of a name that doesn't require too much explanation. No, you'll be able to pick it up if you haven't watched the show. Next up, it's Armor Wars has a head writer, Yasser Lester. I haven't seen anything that he's written. He wrote the TV show Girls, or at least some of it, and he's done some acting as well. So that's who they've hired for that. Don Cheadle-led Disney Plus show that will appear at some point. But yeah, Lester's other writing credits include Keenan Girls and The Carmichael Show, all of which I've not seen. As an actor, he recently had roles on shows like Duncanville, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Making History. I don't really have much to say about that other than, yeah, cool, they're moving ahead with this. He seems like he'll be good. And seeing Rhodey leading a TV show will be pretty cool. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where it's the behind the scenes stuff. I'm really bad at names of writers and directors and the announcement. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> cool. They're making this. Yeah. I will see how it turns out. Okay. Last bit of Marvel news. 
Marvel Studios is currently casting for an unnamed Halloween special, which will not air this Halloween, it'll be next Halloween. The studio is searching for a Latino male in his 30s to lead the cast. Though unconfirmed, the rap has speculated that the character may be based on Werewolf by Night, a name for two different Marvel characters. The first, and I'm not making this up, his name is Jack Russell, and he's a werewolf. was part of an ongoing series that ran for 43 issues and featured the character Moon Knight who will, of course, be getting his own Disney TV series starring Oscar Isaac. So, a uh, Halloween special, and we're getting a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special as well, or holiday special. So, they're doing stuff. Yeah, I would have thought it would be the zombies if they weren't doing the what-if zombies. But I think this would be a good place for Doctor Strange, just to do lots of... That's all occult and horrors and <laughs> houses made of snakes and ghosts and stuff. And then, obviously, there's the upcoming Blade with vampires and stuff you could tie in so there's a lot of characters that you can dip into i mean it won't be like outright horror but you can do a, a spooky one or it could be the world of sat around the campfire telling mini stories would be fun just like mini ghost stories that they've all experienced maybe spider-man's getting in a haunted house an mcu version of are you afraid of the dark yeah i think that'd be quite fun yeah it does sound like it's going to be a direct adaptation of something though but we'll yeah. see if this is something same with a holiday special especially if you can do it on disney plus this might become more of a regular feature yeah We'll see what the Guardians holiday special is like. That'll definitely be more of the spirit of Christmas, putting tinsel up in the ship and stuff. <laughs> Nebula with a Christmas hat on, looking very stern. Yeah, she'll be, what is this Christmas of which you speak? What is a waste of stuff? This has no <laughs> tactical advantage. Maybe a lot of that. Chris Pratt will just be like, yeah, whatever, man. I used to do this all the time when I was... Someone will get him a new cassette tape or something and it'll be nice. They'll download a bunch of songs on his Zune. Yeah. Groot will get a bigger pot or something. <laughs> I'll get some of that fancy <laughs> nutrient soil or something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll find out. Okay, let's move over to the DC universe. There's a couple of bits of news there. So we're getting a Black Canary movie, which will be on HBO Max by the looks of things. And it'll be the same Black Canary that was in Birds yep. of Prey. So following on from that, continuing that universe, if it is indeed a universe of its own, there's no real details about what it'll be. Sue Kroll, whoever she is, will produce the Black Canary movie under her Kroll & Co. entertainment banner, having also produced Birds of Prey. It's unclear who'll direct the Black Canary film or who'll even write the script. It's a long way off, yeah. but it's in the works. She was one of the big takeaways from Birds of Prey that people really liked, so that makes sense. I, mean, I love Birds of Prey, so yeah, I haven't seen more of that world. I'd be surprised if this thing doesn't have Huntress and the police chief. Names escape me at the moment, but essentially the Birds of Prey from the Birds of Prey. I might be like more of a Black Canary focused movie, but I'm sure they can bring some of these characters in that they've already sort of established in this Gotham. They'll introduce a new Green Arrow, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Another Martian Manhunter. <laughs> Just proud of everybody. Really <laughs> proud of you. Just another one, yeah. So that could be good. Yeah, sure. That be could fun. be good as well. Last bit of DC news, J.K. Simmons is in talks to return as Commissioner Gordon in the DC Batgirl movie for HBO Max. That's about it. He's thinking about coming back as Commissioner Gordon because playing him in two different versions of the same film wasn't enough for him, apparently. It's obviously be more of a role in Batgirl, but you'd probably want me to go at it. I've not seen the Snyder Cut, but I'm assuming he isn't that integral. He's just kind of kicking around Gotham. He has a few scenes, yeah. I guess he's probably going to walk a meaty go at it, especially if he has to do with your daughter's a superhero or whatever. There could be a lot to do there. We have casting for Barbara Gordon as well, so having her dad around makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot you can do there with having a superhero daughter that you haven't really done. Considering the race of the Barbara Gordon casting, my guess will be adoption might be involved, or maybe the mother is not the same race and is biological, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Leslie Grace, her name is. She was in In the Heights. Okay, yeah. I think I know who she is. People will be upset because she doesn't have red hair, which is the euphemism for Racism. 
<laughs> she ain't white. That's what they say. They said that about Zendaya when she was cast as not Mary Jane. Yeah, they're like, I hate all these boats of refugees with people full of red hair. <laughs> boats full of red hair people, that's what I want to say. Let's not go into that. Let's not get political. But yeah, J.K. Simmons, I'm always happy to watch him and stuff. Yeah. And his Commissioner Gordon never really got a good go, and that will confirm that it... Well, maybe it won't actually. Just it can just be him playing it, but it seems to confirm that Batgirl will be set in the Ben Affleck as Batman universe. Maybe we don't really know much about the Pattinson universe. Well, J.K. Simmons isn't Gordon oh, in that true, universe. Yeah. It's Jeffrey Wright, I think. It doesn't really matter. No, whether Ben Affleck will be in it is up in the air. He probably won't. I can pretty much guarantee that he won't be in it. But we'll see. I'm hyped for that project. I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah. I like the Batgirl character. Barbara Gordon's an interesting character. and Yeah, she can just be Batgirl without Batman being involved. She could just decide to take on the mantle herself. Yeah. We'll find out. Okay, let's hop over to CW. So the first bit of news is a monthly update on the Powerpuff Girls pilot. We didn't have one last month. There was no new news, but we did mention it. Chloe Bennett has left. <laughs> she was originally playing Blossom. No, she isn't. The... Excuse that was given is that there were scheduling conflicts. I'm pretty sure there weren't any scheduling conflicts beyond the fact that there's a conflict between her schedule of doing this and then not doing this. And she chose to not do this because, well, I don't know if you read any of the leaked script, but geez. And it's probably for the best to get away from that if you can. Yeah, I don't know much about Powerpuff Girls, but as far as I'm aware, people don't really want this. Fans of the Powerpuff Girls series aren't super interested so i don't know who it's for so it feels like it's probably one of those things because it's going to disappear it was after the leaked script people were like what have you done this is horrible and if you read some of it it was readily available on the internet now you can find quotes from it but it's just utterly ridiculous how anybody could think this was going to be any good is beyond me but they're filming the pilot again now they'll have to do more of it without Chloe Bennett because she's not going to be in it anymore. Which is a shame, I like Chloe Bennett, but if it is going to be a dud, then she should be as far away from it as possible. She's left. So that's that. And we'll see what happens with this in the coming weeks. It could just be an expensive mistake that they made and it'll just never come to anything. We'll find out. It's a shame. Or not. I mean, it's good for Chloe Bennett that she distances herself from this completely. Yeah, I wouldn't put money on this coming out. <laughs> It's probably wise. It'll just disappear. I kind of hope so at this point. I was really looking forward to it as well. I thought it sounded like a pretty fun superhero TV series concept and it was going to be a good place filler for Supergirl when that finishes, that kind of stuff. But if they're not making good content, then there's no point in having it, really. Yeah. You know me, I like CW stuff, so I don't see that as a bad thing in itself, but it just seems like they've just dropped a ball on this completely. These things happen. Not everything's a good idea. Yeah, there's no bad ideas, just badly executed ideas. But sometimes there's bad ideas. Sometimes, yeah. Okay, for the next three items, I'm going to have to hop over to Earth Chris and have a chat with him about it because it'll be stuff that you're not very familiar with unless you want to talk about an Arrowverse crossover for season eight of The Flash when you've not seen a single episode of the show. Nah, I'll step aside. <laughs> I will be back shortly. I'm just going to hop through this portal and chat to Chris about this. He's not expecting me, so it should be fun. <laughs> Chris, I've come to your Earth. We need to talk about Arrowverse stuff. Thank God you've showed up. This Earth was getting really boring without Arrowverse stuff. Without Arrowverse stuff, yeah. Most of which you don't watch. Other than that (laughs) Superman and Lois podcast that we haven't recorded yet at the time of recording, but we're about to record at the time of recording. Time travel. Time travel is fantastic. Yeah, time travel strikes again. Messed with the time travel. I've had to come to your Earth because Isaac doesn't care about any of these three things that I want to talk about. So we have three 
bits of news, two Arrowverse and one Star Trek. So this is your area of expertise. So let's just dive straight in. The Flash Season 8 will be starting with an arc called Armageddon, where they'll be bringing in spare parts from shows that are finished or spare parts of people that have left shows that are still running. Or in one case, the lead of a show that's still running, which is curious. But anyway, we'll get into that. So this Armageddon crossover is going to be some form of an alien invasion. And it is going to be bringing back a bunch of characters or bringing in a bunch of characters. So we're going to get Javicia Leslie's Batwoman making her first appearance in Central City. We're also going to get the long-awaited return of Brandon Routh as the Atom, who was essentially told, you're not going to be in our show anymore. And he was kicked off without his consent. We're going to get Osric Chow as Ryan Choi coming back. Whether he's going to be the Atom or not, don't know. Cress Williams will return as Black Lightning. And Kyler Lay will return as Alex Danvers. And, of course, my personal friend who I spoke to for 12 minutes, Catherine McNamara, will return as Mia Queen. And Damien Dark will be in it as well, as will Tom Cavanaugh as the Reverse Flash. But is that really like a guest star that you need to announce? Reverse Flash will be in The Flash. He's been in almost every season, but we have to announce that he's going to be in this. (laughs) Tom Cavanaugh will be appearing in The Flash. I mean, he's left the show technically, so he can appear in a recurring capacity. Yeah. But yeah, he's coming back as Eobard Thawne. I don't think that's big news. So what do you think of this announcement of what this sort of COVID-friendly micro-crossover that they're trying to do next season? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, nice try, Flash, trying to tempt me back in with a nice big crossover thing. But it is kind of what you're saying. It does sort of reek of, here are spare parts from other shows that are not going to disrupt filming schedules that we are going to throw in the general direction of The Flash. Lots of characters that have been cancelled off of other shows or not had things renewed. That's who we're going to save in Armageddon. That's who's going to save us. Potentially it'll be fun. A lot of the crossovers are normally a lot of fun and how much these characters are going to be involved throughout, I don't know. You've got almost as many characters there as you've got episodes, so it could just be one person dropping in an episode or having to assemble a team to solve a problem and by the end they've got them all united or something. Have they not done an alien invasion already? Was that not one of the early crossovers? Well yeah it was the first one that Supergirl was in and Supergirl obviously always dealt with alien threats in some way or another and Legends current season as we record that's airing is dealing with aliens as well but I think with Supergirl being part of the Arrowverse without them having to travel between Earths the prospect of aliens turning up is just more common hmm. now because they are part of the DNA of Supergirl. So it's not outlandish and they have to fight something. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's outlandish at all. No, no, no. I'm saying it seems to be par for the course and very normal, which is exactly my point. It seems to be run of the mill. They are tempting me, though. Neil McDonough. They've got our friend Neil McDonough, who we want to cast in absolutely everything. They're finally listening to us. Bring yeah, him back. we said bring him back, and guess what? He's back. That's the kind of power that Neil Before Pod has, is that we can bring Neil McDonough back. So now that they can bring him back, of course, they can now put him in every single show again, which is great. They've opened the door. Yeah, this will resurrect him. I'm wondering what the format of this is going to be. I wonder if it'll be eight loosely connected episodes that just have, as you say, a guest star every week where they show up and then they don't manage to help and then they disappear. Or whether it'll be a proper arc where maybe these extra characters will dip in and out. The current Batwoman, Ryan Wilder, being in this is curious because she has her own show, so they must have to do some jiggery-pokery to get her to appear in terms of 
shutting down production or whatever. I forget when Batwoman comes back, so maybe that's just not filming until later so that she's available to appear in this. I'm not sure. I should have checked that, but I'm bad at my job. Batwoman is coming back, I'm just not sure when. I don't think it's as part of the first run. In fact, let's just find out. Let's find out live. October 13th, okay. Batwoman season three airs on October 13th, so I'm talking absolute garbage. With the current way that restrictions are working between filming and these shows, we weren't able to have a crossover in this season because it was impossible to make it safe for characters or actors to move between sets. It's interesting that they've managed to get around that somehow. I suppose if it's only for one episode. It could be that they're sparing one character from The Flash to speak to Batwoman or help Batwoman or do a thing. It doesn't necessarily need to be the whole cast of The Flash or the whole cast of Batwoman. It might be that they're just crossing over one actor, in which case it would be easier for them to handle, potentially than crossing over an entire cast and merging the two into one big mega bubble. It depends on what the current filming restrictions are. I don't know quite how tight cross-contamination between sets is anymore. They've spoken in the past, a lot of the actors have spoken about how difficult doing these crossover events are. And I think maybe they've listened to that or they've learned from that. And that's why we're getting a lot of characters that are no longer in recurring shows anymore. It's nice to bring these people back to get to see them on screen again and it's not going to disrupt the production of other programs. I think it's a little bit of a shame that we're not getting Legends in there and we're not getting Superman and Lois crossing over, I guess. There's a little bit where you go, oh, really? Especially with Legends currently dealing with aliens as part of their whole show at the moment. It seems that a natural crossing, you know, the people who have got the spaceship <laughs> would be able to come over and help and the alien experience and aliens on board would be able to potentially help out with a alien invasion threat. But if Barry's not invited to the wedding, then the legends aren't invited to the crossover, I guess. <laughs> but you know what it's like? They announce parts of things and then later on they might announce other things. And then when the thing actually airs, there might be a couple of surprises that we didn't expect who will appear at some point. So this might not be the exhaustive list of people that are appearing in this. Yeah, we tried to call the legends. They said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or we couldn't reach them or whatever. I don't know. But here's Ray, because he's not doing anything. Yeah, I'm sure Legends will address it. They'll have them in an episode going, oh, we had a voicemail from Barry about some sort of alien invasion thing, but we missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is just, or at least the current announcement, it is just Batwoman that's appearing. So it might be an episode of Batwoman that she's barely in or just not in at all. I don't know. We'll find out. But it is interesting. But I wonder if it will be just every episode. It's, yeah, we had this person in last week and they weren't very helpful. So we brought Batwoman in. Turns out not very good against aliens. So we just told her to leave. We brought in Oliver's daughter from the future. Equally useless. Black Lightning. We didn't invite him, but he just showed up. <laughs> like he always does. Again, not much use. And so on. It got so desperate that we had to ask Damien Dark for help. Despite the fact that he's dead. It's interesting. I mean, getting Alex Danvers in makes a bit of sense because she used to run the DEO, so knows our alien affairs. Alien expert. Alien expert, yeah. That makes sense as part of the crossover. Be interesting to see how all these characters fit in. I think Tom Kavanagh and Neil McDonough probably going to be very minor in it, with the rest maybe taking up a little bit more space. That would be my suspicion. Maybe. I would love to see his... Eobard Thawne and Damien Dark sharing yes. a scene. It has to happen. They didn't share because it was the other reverse flash, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, it would be good to see them interact. Yeah, for sure. We've had an extra bit of casting for this as well. Tony Curran, who was in Calibre, one of the Netflix films that's just 
very great. He's been in Deadwood and other stuff as well. He's been cast as a villain called Despero. He's a powerful and intelligent alien possessing incredible telepathic powers who left his home world, Kalinor, under mysterious circumstances. Now he's facing a deadly mission on Earth, one whose outcome will decide the fate of humankind, put him on a collision course with Team Flash. It's not confirmed that he'll be the villain for that arc, but it makes sense. Very cool. I've got no idea if that character is canon or any of the backstory to that, but that sounds interesting-ish. Yeah, he's a character from the comics. He also appeared in Postman Pat in 2014 as Paparazzi too, And he's a Scottish actor. Hopefully he'll keep his Scottish accent for the... <laughs> I thought you were talking about the alien with mind-possessing powers there for a second. He also appeared in Postman Pat. <laughs> well, maybe he did. I don't know. I've not seen it in quite a long time. On the surface, I'm quite interested in this crossover mini crossover cheat event that they're doing the flash is overblown with characters there's too many of them and now we're just bringing like eight or nine others in as well to the early part of the season but it sounds like it'll be a decent arc to start things and we've talked about before how we wish the crossovers maybe involved some of the lesser well not lesser but some of the side characters that might interact with other side characters so having Alex interact with some of Team Flash could be really interesting because we haven't really seen that. You're spot on there, actually. We have called it out before where we want some of the side characters to interact. So, yeah, definitely. And it'll be good to see Mia back because it's a shame her show never got picked up. So she'll appear from the future and do stuff and that'll be good. And listen to my interview with Catherine McNamara where I ask her a bit about Arrow. Bit of a self-plug there. I'm extremely proud of getting that interview and I want to plug it at every single opportunity. And so you should. Okay, so do you have anything else on that mini cheaty crossover? Or no, I think I've covered can it. Can we move on to the next thing? So the next thing is Melissa Benoist has been talking about who's going to be appearing in the Supergirl finale. They're bringing back Jeremy Jordan as Wynn, Chris Wood as Monel, and Maycad Brooks as James Olsen. So basically, there's some of the characters that have left. It makes sense. It's a series finale. Good to do a bit of a victory lap, get these people back. Obviously, Melissa Benoist is, well, maybe not obviously, but she is married to Chris Wood in real life. That's a thing that happened. That's the thing that that show gave her. But apparently, the picture that was released is them at a funeral of some sort. Whose funeral? We don't know. But it promises to be an emotional ending. I'm fine with seeing these characters come back for the final episode and I'm really interested to see what Supergirl's final run will entail, what it will build up to, how it will end. Yeah, totally. With it being a series finale, you really expect characters from the olden days to turn up, be it through time travel or video messages or alternate Earths or whatnot. They'll find reasons to bring them back. Arrow did it really, really well with sort of revisiting the past and going forwards and all that sort of business. Allowed them to have characters in that they wouldn't have had the chance to otherwise. So this makes sense, I guess, especially for them to have their finale. And Melissa Benoist said that she was happy with the finale. She thought the conclusion was extremely moving in how we wrapped up Kara's arc. I found that very powerful. That's what she said, which is not the traditional. (laughs) That's what she said. She said that. Of course, she's going to say that, but I have no reason to doubt her, I suppose. We'll see. Well, we discussed it before, but... Supergirl, we question its plotting in a lot of ways, but it usually nails its character stuff. We watch it because of that dynamic between the team that they've made on that show. So I'm fairly confident they'll manage to deliver at least some satisfaction on that. I really hope so. I hope that they get a decent finale. It's a very difficult thing to pull off, as we've discussed many, many, many times. It's really difficult to come up with something satisfactory for all the characters and all the story that you've got going on to try and 
either wrap it up into a bow or leave the right amount of stuff hanging at the end or letting the audience make its own conclusions, all that sort of stuff. It all is a very, very fine balance and I don't envy anyone trying to wrap up stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Could be some emotions when we do the Supergirl final season podcast in whenever it is. I don't think they've announced when it airs yet. I imagine it'll be a while. Yeah, it's only on episode eight, believe it or not. As of recording, <laughs> quite a while ago, <laughs> could be towards the end of the year, the earliest. It was off for so long and only aired seven episodes before that happened. That's Supergirl returning characters. Our last thing before I leave this earth, let's talk about the Star Trek universe. The upcoming animated series Star Trek Prodigy has cast two people, one of which is more prominent than the other, at least in my mind. We've got Jimmy Simpson, whoever that is, and John Noble who is the steward of Gondor, or Walter Bishop in Fringe. Plus, he's been in so many other things. He'll join the cast of Paramount Plus' Star Trek Prodigy, also starring Kate Mulgrew, Brett Gray, Ella Purnell, and Angus Imry. The first Star Trek series aimed at a younger audience, Prodigy will follow a motley crew of young aliens who must figure out how to work together while navigating a greater galaxy in search for a better future. The six young outcasts know nothing about the ship they've commandeered, a first in the history of the Star Trek franchise, but over the course of their adventures together, they will each be introduced to Starfleet and the ideals it represents. Noble will voice the Diviner, a ruthless tyrant who controls the asteroid of Tars Lamora. The Diviner exploits wayward species and will stop at nothing in his hunt for the protostar ship. The protostar being the ship that they commandeer. No matter the cost, though his goals are shrouded in mystery, his body is failing him, and he created his progeny, Gwyn, to one day carry on his mission when she is ready for it. Gwyn is one of the characters that is on the ship. So there's your connection. Cool connection there. Simpson joins the cast as Dreadnought, the Diviner's deadly robotic enforcer, is heartless and cold. His sole purpose is to keep the Diviner on task and ensure that the protostar is found. Dreadnought is a friend to no one, including the Diviner's own daughter, Gwyn, and uses his menacing spider-like form to impose the Diviner's will. Sounds cool. So it's basically a bunch of kids coming to defeat this villainous presence that they have to deal with and learning Star Trek values along the way, I'm guessing. I'm pretty amped for this. and John Noble's voice is going to be a great addition to it. I think he'll probably scare the hell out of some young kids. <laughs> The more I hear about the show, it sounds really amazing, actually. It just sounds really interesting. I'll look forward to seeing it. Obviously, it's difficult to judge anything at the moment because we've had a few short trailers recently released and then a bit of casting news, so it's difficult to judge what the show's going to be so far, but everything they're saying is sounding really, really interesting, so... I'm up for it, and it gives a reason, a, a tie and a connection between your villain and your crew, so well done. And a good actor with a great voice, so for an animated thing like that, perfect. It sounds like they're not doing the thing that I hate that some animations do. When they're aimed at kids, sometimes they talk down to the kids, and those are the ones that don't last very long. But it seems like this one, they're taking it very seriously, so that people like us can maybe get something out of it as well. I really hope that's the case. Yeah, so do I. Okay, so... I shall leave your earth now and leave you to get on with whatever boring thing you were getting on with before I appeared. You did say the earth was getting boring, so maybe I've spiced it up for five minutes. Next time you come, can you bring toilet paper? There's no toilet paper on this earth. I'll give that a go. And coffee as well. That's a Fringe reference. In Fringe, the alternate universe didn't have coffee. It I'll definitely out. bring coffee then. I'll be sure to do that. Thank you for indulging this interlude, and I will see you next Thanks, time I visit this earth. Okay, I'm back. I hope you had a refreshing break from chatting to me about stuff. Yeah, as we've been talking, I saw that 14th Doctor started trending, but as far as I'm aware, this isn't a thing. 
But I was like, is this the big news? But no. I think it's just people going like, oh, I should be Rich Diawadi or something. I was like you were saying, there's always a big news thing that happens. And I was like, I was on Twitter and I was like, oh, 14 o'clock, there we go. But no, it's nothing. We might as well talk about this now then, since you've brought it up, rather than jumping away from it and coming back. It was recently announced that Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall will both be leaving Doctor Who in a trio of specials. Jodie Whittaker is, of course, the Doctor, and Chris Chibnall is the head writer or showrunner. I think in the UK we call them head writers, whereas in the US it would be called a showrunner, but it doesn't really matter. They're going to do three specials in 2022 as part of the BBC's centenary celebration, so 100 years of the BBC. The epic blockbuster special is going to air in autumn of 2022. That will serve as her finale and regeneration episode. David Tennant is rumoured to be in talks to return, which wouldn't surprise me because he's still the most popular. So they'll find any excuse to bring him back just fine. They're calling it a six-part event serial this season, aren't they? So it's one story for six episodes. It's a loosely connected, I think it'll be the sense of maybe a larger quest or a much tighter arc. And it'll be like cliffhanger between the episodes. But I know you chatted Series 13 with Andrew last month. It was Chris. We talked about the trailer. In terms of leaving, I love Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I think she's probably my (laughs) favourite. Even though it's been a couple of frustrating series just because it feels like it's a lot of stuff that I've wanted to see but it hasn't quite landed. For example, Series 11 was an attempt to do more of their own stuff but it didn't really grab everybody. Series 11 was her first one. Yes, so that was the first series. And it was nice to not be over-reliant on the Daleks or the Master or the Cybermen or whatever. I'm quite excited about the idea of a six-part, tighter, smaller run. I mean, obviously we'll get go to a different planet and meet a new monster each week, but I think it's nice to freshen everything up. I know that quite a lot of people thought it hasn't felt like it's been as impactful as some of Stephen Moffat's stuff or T. Davis's stuff. But it's still always sad when a good doctor runs their course. But saying that, we have basically a whole series. Nine, yeah, nine more stories. stories. Like pretty much a series to go over the course of autumn 2022. So there's still plenty more of her doctor to come along. We have a whole new companion to meet, potentially two with Vinda. By trying to trim the fat of companions, they have then just, just gone and more. made the same mistake again by adding two more companions. Another older dad character with a distinct accent and a sort of young action man. They basically replace the characters with just different ones. Dan is essentially new Graham and Vinder is new Ryan. But they might be much different. We don't really know too much. And poor Yaz will just get forgotten. Yeah, I hope there's more Yaz. I hope she gets a bit more of a standout thing. I'm always looking forward to that too. I do enjoy the buzz over who the new Doctor's going to be. Obviously we don't know who will be taking over. Like I said, when it comes to production and showrunners and stuff, I don't know who to put my money on because... I'm bad at knowing that stuff. Same with the Doctor. It tends to be, once you find out who's taking control, it's an easier guess on who they're going to get because you can sort of go like, oh, here's their past work. You can watch their old stuff and be like, okay. Sometimes you can get a vibe for who they're going to go for. Sometimes not. We've had Stephen Moffat and Matt Smith. It was not part of his plan at all to have someone like that. It was just impressed enough. But I think it's way too early to speculate. I think they'll still be looking for whoever's taking over it at the moment. It's usually, well, I say usually, it's sometimes someone who's making waves on the BBC because Jodie Whittaker did a couple of decent prestige things on the BBC before she was cast. Yeah, let's say they pick somebody around maybe the start of the new year to take over the show. Actors can get tied up in other projects. Newcomers can arise out of nowhere. I know people are saying Ollie Alexander was one of those names that was thrown around last Christmas when there was rumours that she was going to leave last Christmas. And it's just because he was in It's a Sin and he was suddenly a household name for a bit. 
but this is still 14 months away or whatever. The thing about Doctor Who is I like Jodie Whittaker as well, but the problem I've got with her tenure is the writing. I do think that Chris Chibnall is not really up to the task of running a show like that. I'll give him his credit. He did try different things, but I just don't think he has the skill to make them work. And he's made some weird fundamental changes that also mean nothing. I think it's been a weird time for the show as well. First of all, it moved to Sunday nights, which was a strange transition. I didn't mind. I preferred it on a Sunday night to a Saturday night, actually. And then the Christmas special went away to be replaced with a New Year special, which again, I didn't mind. And then the series was cut down significantly in terms of episode numbers as it went. Did it not start with 10? There was only 10 and now it's 6. It was 10, it was going to be 8 and then 2 of those became larger specials so it's 6 and then they've added one extra regeneration one. But I mean, it's unprecedented times and I think that's just the case of they were going to shoot for 10, they couldn't fit that in they were going to shoot for 8, more lockdowns happened, they are like, okay let's just do 6 now and do 3 later. It was even before that, though, the show was transitioning. The established format was changing and it didn't really work for it, I don't think. I think that also led into Stephen Moffat's run as well. This show is kind of on the same format it had in 2005 and 2006. And also the show is not as much of an event as it was when early Matt Smith or David Tennant, and it was still quite fresh. And I think it's just a case of the show that's been on for a while. And I wouldn't be surprised if The 14th Doctor is not like a Netflix thing, but if it's like an iPlayer thing or if it's a partnership with HBO or something like that, like uh, Dark Materials. I can see it not being as traditional series television. Not the flagship it once was. But if it's taken over in like 2023, that's like 18 years after Chris Druckelston. Its audience isn't as big. I think it'll be one of these things. I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes like an iPlayer thing or a bit less... An event. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe it just needs a bit of a kick to get people interested again. It'll be interesting to see who they cast, though. I wonder if they'll go back to white male again, which will make the detractors think that they've won if they do that. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't, because they'll be accused of doubling down on wokeness if they cast anybody but a white male. And then if they cast a white male, everyone that detracted from the female casting will think, oh, is it there's a failure, that tried and failed or whatever. You acknowledged your failure that you took five years to acknowledge (laughs) it'll be a rocky casting for the next doctor by the time she's done she'll be obviously her series has been much more broken up but 2018 to 2022 is the year so just a little longer than david tennant in terms of years so yeah it's a big chunk of time yeah david tennant probably still has the most episodes i would guess 2019 was a gap year and it's been three smaller series but obviously there's other companies there's big foundation there's books and stuff no doctor ever really stops it's up to the actor really yeah but i think she's had a great run it's definitely in my comfort watching because i've found her run to be a bit more easy to jump in though the previous two series have been very standalone-ish sometimes it's nice like i'm just gonna watch the rosa parks one or the Kablam one. It's a nice comfort show. You can just like, I'm just going to put one on. I'm going to put one of her ones on. My problem with the Whitaker years is I don't think there's any of those standout memorable episodes. Every other Doctor has those, oh my god, this is a must-see episode. The Rosa Parks one, I suppose, is about the closest. I don't think she's had any landmark iconic episodes that every other Doctor's had. I hope she does get one. She does deserve a big must-see legendary one in the last ones. I know there's the rumours of David Tennant. I'd rather he didn't, or maybe do it in one of the earlier ones. Because I feel like if they're going to put all their money on the big special finale, that should be like her show. The only other doc in it is the one she regenerates into. I hope she gets a... Is it Heaven Sent, isn't it? 
or I'm trying to think of a Matt Smith one. But one of those ones where that's your definitive one. Like if you pick one episode per Doctor, she needs her one. David Tennant's most famous one he's not in, isn't it? It's Blink and Turn Left, and he's not in either of them. Yeah, Blink is the big one for Tennant. There's a couple of iconic David Tennant ones, though. Lex series should be soon-ish. Yeah, it's this year. There's not that much left of this year. October, I'm guessing? Maybe around Halloween. Because I know Halloween is a Sunday this year, so that'd be a fun one. If you wanted to do like a spooky one, you'd start off on Halloween night. would be quite good to get as a slot. So I reckon late October into November. Yeah, that's a fair guess. Takes you up to almost Christmas. Six weeks, we shall see. All right, moving on. There is an Expendables 4. It's happening. We do have some casting news for it. Coming back for the Elite Mercenaries feature are franchise stars Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture and Sylvester Stallone, who all reprise their roles as Lee Christmas, Gunnar Jensen, Toll Road and Barney Ross, respectively. In addition, 50 Cent and Megan Fox and Tony Jaa will be in it. That's about it. The production starts this fall. It's been directed by Scott Waugh from a screenplay by Spencer Cohen. And that's about it. So... We're getting Expendables 4. I like the Expendables movies. I wasn't too hot on the third one. It was a bit dull, but the first two I do enjoy. So I'm keen for this. I've not seen it. be interesting to see how they use Megan Fox. Oh, that sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> she did that action movie where she was fighting a lion that I've not seen. I can't remember what it's called. She was in the Transformers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Voice I don't know anything about the Expendables. Just a bunch of aging action stars doing stuff. Boom is Fast and Furious. <laughs> They'll probably end up getting The Rock and Vin Diesel. It's something for the stars of the macho movies of the 80s and 90s to have another go. I'd quite like to see, same with Fast and Furious, but I could also work for this. Get someone in like Rick Moranis or Woody Allen. <laughs> Somebody who's not actually just to sort of throw them in. <laughs> Maybe not Woody Allen. Or like Alan Bennett or Derek Jacobi or someone. Sylvester Stallone and then <laughs> Patrick Stewart's just there. Or just someone who's not known for their action stuff. It'd always be fun to throw one of those in. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Okay, so that's happening. Next up, this was one that I added literally five minutes before we started recording. We have some photos from Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, the live-action Resident Evil movie reboot that is out hopefully this year. It's just a few pictures. You get a picture of Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield, played by their actors. Avan Joja as Leon Kennedy and Kaya Scodelario as Claire Redfield. She's wearing the red leather jacket that she's wearing in the current game, so... Immediately, she stands out as being this is Claire Redfield. Leon Kennedy's wearing his police uniform, so again, they catch you with the iconography pretty quickly. There isn't any pictures of zombies, but there's a picture of a weird monster. Hannah John Kamen, you can see, is Jill Valentine. You can see Brad Vickers. You can see Albert Wesker, and so on. The pictures look pretty good. They look at least on point for the video games. They look enough like the video game characters for me to be on board with this, thinking that they're maybe on the right track. Of course, it could be horrendous but i don't know if you're looking at it at the moment but the picture of leon and claire looks a bit cosplay-ish oh yeah that's not a very good costume is it leon <laughs> looks a bit student film <laughs> he does claire looks really good but he looks a bit i'm just trying to win a cosplay contest here yeah it's got like just a black shirt with an iron-on police patch and blood splatter <laughs> <laughs> an empty backpack or something as a bulletproof vest <laughs> i don't know maybe they're just making do i've seen the movies and i've watched you play some of the new game. Me getting frightened by Resident Evil 2 as I've tried to complete it on hard difficulty. Oh, there's a creepy picture of some sort of monster. Some sort of baby-faced hair out the eyes man with his hands in manacles. That's quite impressive. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. And then lower down you've got Chris, Jill, Wesker and Brad. Yeah, with the torch guns and 
the typical Resident Evil sort of mansion. It very much looks like a combination of Resident Evils 1 and 2 put into one story. Yeah. Which, yeah, I'm all on board with. I love Resident Evil, and I'm eager to see how this pans out. I like the cast as well. The cast are good. You've got Robbie Amell as Chris Redfield. That's pretty good casting. Yeah. This forgettable zombie movie. Let's find out. We'll see. Okay, next up. Finally, this is happening. I'm surprised it took this long, but there is going to be a biopic for the Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry with You Don't Know Jack, scribe Adam Mazur. Basically... Roddenberry Entertainment has been working quietly in a feature biopic of the sci-fi TV icon. There's a script, and that's about it so far. Who they'll get to play him, no idea. But Gene Roddenberry did have a pretty crazy life. He was at war and stuff. He did some pretty heroic acts during the Second World War, so there'll be all of that, and then... I don't know. Will it be like in Tolkien where he's inspired to see Star Trek by being on the battlefields in Germany or in France or whatever? We'll see. Yeah, I don't know much about him, but there is an anniversary coming up for Star Trek. 60th? 55th anniversary is on the 8th of September, yeah. So almost as you're listening to this in terms of when it's released. They're doing a Star Trek Day celebration, which I'm really looking forward to, where they might show some trailers for other stuff. So yeah, this movie won't be won't be coming out for a while. Yeah, a couple of years probably. There's a giant fan base there. Like I said, it sounds like it's an interesting story to tell. Yeah, he had some life, so it'll be interesting to see. And then they will do some, here's how he created Star Trek type part of it, which could be interesting. So you might get to see some young guy playing William Shatner and things like that in the film. That'd, That'd be, be fun. quite fun. They get Chris Payne in to play William Shatner. Maybe. <laughs> I don't think they'll do that. Could you imagine they did? That'd be very funny. I don't know who they'll get. We'll find out. They might not even go down that route. Maybe it'll end with him just getting the idea. Don't know. Biopics are always weird because a lot of them just do a beat for beat. Here's how this person's life played out and they don't tell you anything interesting or insightful because they just rush through it. So hopefully it's not one of those. Hopefully it focuses on a specific point in his life or maybe flashes back to the war. I don't know. It's early days, but there is a script, so we'll find out. So next up, the cast is being rounded out for the Wednesday TV series, Tim Burton's Adam's Family Mystery prequel thing that yes. they're doing where she solves mysteries at high school or something like that. Jenna Ortega who was cast before she's playing Wednesday. We have Thora Birch Ricky Lindholm, Jamie McShane, Hunter Doohan, Georgie Farmer, Musa Mustafa Emma Myers, Naomi J. Ogawa, Joy Sunday Percy Hines White. It has lists of everything that they're in in these this article that I'm reading. They've all been in stuff. Catherine Zeta-Jones is playing Morticia Adams. That was announced couple of weeks ago and louise guzman is playing gomez Catherine zeta jones's morticia is really good casting i think yeah again that's a name i know it could be interesting funnily enough it's written by the smallville creators so it's going to be one of those it's a prequel that just doesn't acknowledge the future will ever happen type thing and it's going to be directed by tim burton for tv well for netflix so that could be pretty interesting it could be pretty awful we just don't know but they've got a cast. Doohan will play Tyler Galpin, a townie who strikes up an unlikely friendship with Wednesday. Tyler has a troubled relationship with his father, the local sheriff. Farmer will play Ajax, a student who also happens to be a Gorgon, whatever that is. Awkward and shy, Ajax is anxious about looking anyone in the eye. Mustafa will play Eugene, one of Nevermore Academy's quirkiest students and president of the school's beekeeping club. Brilliant. Medusa was a Gorgon, wasn't she? Looking in the eye, I think it's the Tentastone creature. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Myers will play Enid Sinclair. She is Wednesday's sunny and colourful Californian roommate at Nevermore Academy. Enid hails from a pack of San Francisco werewolves. Ogawa will play Yoko Tanaka, a vampire with Arajaku-inspired goth flair and one of the cool kids at Nevermore Academy. Yeah, I'll decide. 
Sunday is Bianca Barclay, one of Nevermore Academy's most popular students. Bianca descends from a long line of sirens with a mesmerising power to persuade. White will play Xavier Thorpe, a charismatic and supernaturally artistic Nevermore Academy student who comes from wealth thanks to his celebrity psychic father. Birch will play Tamara Nova, Wednesday's dorm mother and the only normie on staff at Nevermore Academy with a focus on all things botanical. Lindholm will be Dr Valerie Kinbot, a local therapist in the sleepy town of Jericho who takes a particular interest in her newest patient, Wednesday Adams. McShane will be Sheriff Donovan Galpin, born and bred in Jericho. The sheriff has always had an issue with Nevermore Academy and a vendetta against former student Gomez. Sounds a bit like the X-Men in a way. It's got like an Umbrella Academy sort of sounding thing to it. Yeah, could be all right. I don't know if I'll ever see it. We'll find out. But yeah, it's happening. There's a cast, there's a bunch of characters. They've rounded it out. It looks like there's some potential for shenanigans. Yeah. So next up, we have a title for The Matrix 4. It's going to be called The Matrix Resurrections. I was really angling for Matrix Rebooted, but it's not happening. Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Ann Moss will reprise their roles as Neo and Trinity. It's directed by Lana Wachowski, so the other Wachowski's not there this time. The unlikely sequel is billed as a revival, not a reboot. We'll bring back Jada Pinkett-Smith as Niobe, Lambert Wilson as the Merovingian, and Daniel Bernhardt as Agent Johnson. Conspicuously absent from the list of returners is Lawrence Fishburne, who also doesn't know why he wasn't asked to bring back Morpheus. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, Jessica Henwick, etc. are all in this as well. And there was something at CinemaCon recently where a trailer was shown to press who were there. There was some stuff about Neo and Trinity encountering each other but not knowing each other and things like that. At one point in the trailer, he runs into Trinity at a coffee shop and she asks him, have we met? Later, Thomas meets Abdul Mateen's character who... Looks just like Morpheus, shaved head, tiny sunglasses. According to io9, he offers Thomas a red pill and then all hell breaks loose. Thomas being Thomas Anderson as yeah. in Neo. Thomas and Abdul Mateen are fighting in a dojo. Thomas and a blue-haired woman with a tattoo of a rabbit get shot by a sniper from inside the train. And then Thomas goes peak Neo, stopping bullets and missiles in midair while doing other cool Matrix stuff with Trinity, all accompanied by Jefferson Airplane's trippy tune, White Rabbit. That sounds Matrixy. You're going back to where it all started. A businessman played by Groff says to Thomas at the end of the trailer, back to the Matrix. Okay. Apparently the premise is it's an older Thomas Anderson never became Neo. I read Lily. Is Lily Wachowski the one who's not returning? Yeah, Lana's the director here, so it's it's the other one, yeah. Lily was asked about why she isn't involved and I think she just said she wants to move forward. She's like, I don't want to go back to my past films and like do it all again. I think she said she's more interested in working on future projects and not going back to franchises and stuff. I think it's been her choice to not join in. It's not been cast aside or there's not been any bad blood between the two of them. It's just been one of them doesn't want to Go back. I made three of these and everybody hated two of them, so I don't want to do another one. Yeah. Trailers sound really boring when somebody's just describing it. They describe like Man of Steel. like, and then there's an explosion. And then we see like Smallville and then someone says something cool. <laughs> it's one of those sort of ones. There's a bit in here about Thomas Anderson going to therapy and his psychiatrist played by Neil Patrick Harris and stuff like that. It sounds like they're just essentially telling a different version of the first film in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, that's the good one. Yeah, but we already had that, so why do we need it again? But yeah, sounds cool. Keanu Reeves is usually good in action yeah. stuff, so why not? Okay, next up, Jake Gyllenhaal is set to star in Oblivion Song, an adaptation of Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo Di Felici's graphic novel. New Republic Pictures optioned the rights to the story with plans to turn it into a future film. Kirkman is best known for co-creating The Walking Dead, obviously, which is a show that I used to watch and then grew to hate and then stopped watching it, so... That could be 
what this is. The premise of Oblivion Song is when faced with a cataclysmic event that permanently alters our lives, what would we choose to save? Just as Kirkman did with The Walking Dead and Invincible, in Oblivion Song he's created the potential for a franchise that's profoundly entertaining and the perfect opportunity to explore big questions we're reckoning with globally. And it doesn't really say what it's about. I have like a vague image of the comic cover and i think it's more science fictiony than the walking dead it's post-apocalyptic i'm looking at the cover art at the moment it's some guy standing with a tattered cloak looking at a wasteland yeah i think it's maybe colony something like that half know this but i'm not really watched any of his walking dead stuff and also i don't want dystopias and cataclysmic human life altering events so i watch stuff to get away from these dystopias <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't really say much about it. It is a supernatural science fiction story that chronicles Nathan Cole, a man who makes daily trips to try and rescue those still living in the apocalyptic hellscape of oblivion, a part of Philadelphia lost a decade ago with 300,000 of its citizens. That's all it says. I'm sure I could find out more if I bothered to look, but I'm not going to. I can give this a miss. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things that you could probably give a miss, the new Predator movie has a title, plot details, and a timeline revealed by... The producers. This is Dan Trachtenberg's Predator film. It's going to be called Skull. Yeah. They say this about everything that you ever release, but it goes back to what made the original Predator movie work. It's the ingenuity of a human being who won't give up, who's able to observe and interpret, basically being able to beat a stronger, more powerful, well-armed force. It actually has more akin to The Revenant than it does any film in the Predator canon. You'll know what I mean once you see it promised Fox. Though Davis declined to reveal the specific time period, you can use your imagination, it is early. Both producers were pumped about the script, but Davis reserved special praise for the film's brilliant director Trachtenberg. Watching dailies, you just understand how his vision is completely unique. He's got his own language and it's fresh and cool. It's interesting. I've not watched any Predators except for maybe a bit of whichever one that guy in the Wes Anderson movies is in. What's he called? He's got a bit of a long nose. Are you talking about Predators, the one with Adrian Brody. Some of the Adrian Brody one when it was on at like a Christmas. I was like half watching, but that's as far as I know about Predators. That's a good one. The first one's good. I don't remember the second one that well. The Shane Black one is awful, though. Is this the sort of thing that's like the same as Terminator franchises? They just keep trying and it's sort of fizzling away? Yeah, basically. It's just something that they just trot out every couple of years and it may or may not work. Because there haven't been that many Predator films, most people ignore Alien versus Predator as part of that canon. So there has only really been four films and two of them are good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I don't really remember Predator 2 that well. It might be good. I'm not sure. But I do know that The Predator is awful. But yeah, based on The Revenant, so it's set maybe hundreds of years ago. Yeah, maybe like know. Frontier Times or School Suggests Pirates or a Smuggler's Era. Mm, I guess we'll find out. Dan Trachtenberg has made good stuff in the past, so there's no reason he couldn't hear. Yeah. I just can't get all that excited about another Predator film for some reason. Speaking about not getting all that excited, the Cruella sequel has been... I've not seen Cruella, it might be great. It's free now on Disney+, Plus, I believe. I saw it when it came out and I thought it was okay. Does it have somewhere it can go for a sequel? Yeah, it does. It diverges pretty heavily. I guess they didn't want to fully lean into this woman's going to murder dogs and wear them as clothes. They don't get to that point. They don't really lean into her being a villain. The biggest comparison for me is... Maleficent, which I think is a really good villain origin story, but it's not really a villain origin story film. It's actually a rape allegory, at least the first one is. The second one is just a bit mental, but it's still good. So they took it in a completely different direction, whereas with Cruella, I don't think they took it far enough in a different direction. So they were kind of trying to straddle both things they were trying to do, but didn't quite work. I don't know what the sequel will be about. Maybe it will finish up her becoming the villain that everybody loathes. I'm not sure. 
she has to at some point hire the lady who has the Dalmatians. Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe they could just jump in time to like a future bit and they don't have to have Emma Stone and then they can have Glenn Close. Yeah, okay, Glenn Close. It looks like that Emma Stone is no longer going to sue Disney because yeah. she's going to work for them and do this instead, along with Scarlett Johansson, who's still suing them. I'm not going to talk much about it because I know nothing really about the ins and outs of the lawsuit, but it seems like it's getting messy. Seems like things were said. Yep. Cruella, would I say give it a watch? Nah, probably not. I don't think it's really worthwhile. It's just kind yeah. of okay. It frustrated me how it refused to commit to anything. That was what really annoyed me about it. So it just kind of meanders along. Yeah. Next up, we have a writer for the Spawn movie, which is finally happening. The original Spawn movie is kind of hilariously bad, but it's kind of okay. I quite like it. Brian Tucker is going to be writing it. He worked on the 2013 Russell Crowe and Mark Wahlberg film Broken City, and it's going to be produced by Bloomhouse as well, who are getting a lot of good properties. Yeah, I've heard of Bloomhouse. I don't know anything about Spawn other than he has a big cape, and he's Todd McFarlane's baby. Yeah, and Todd McFarlane's going to be directing. Oh yeah, he won't let go, will he? He's Apparently. one of his ones where he's like, he has to be, uh, which is never good. Is he a good director? Who knows? <laughs> Probably not. Obviously, if you have a character, you want control over it, but I don't know what Spawn does. He's an anti-hero, I guess. Todd McFarlane basically was salty with marvel because he created venom essentially and then they didn't give him due credit for it so he goes off to do something else and create spawn who is very similar venom but demons kind of situation so that's basically it i remember the 90s i think it was out in the 90s it would have been that film is kind of problematic but it's kind of fun as well blumhouse is good i am aware of spawn but that's as far as maybe that's good enough i can sort of chip in there okay a bit of disney news again we have the home alone reboot which is coming out definitely and it's going to appear in november on disney plus we've got some cast for it it's going to star archie yates who was the kid from jojo rabbit that's a good yeah yeah, he's a young actor that knows what he's doing he will star as max mercer a mischievous and resourceful young boy who has been left behind while his family is in japan for the holidays so when a married couple attempting to retrieve a priceless heirloom sets their sights on the mercer's family home it's up to max to protect it from the trespassers and he will do whatever it takes to keep them out the reboot promises hilarious hijinks of epic proportions and despite the absolute chaos max eventually comes to realize that there really is no place like home sweet home the cast includes ellie kemper rob delaney eileen b keenan thompson as in keenan from keenan and kel Tim Simons, Pete Holmes, Devin Rattray, Ali Mackey, Chris Parnell, Dan Mazur, who directed Dirty Grandpa, will direct a new film, and that's the thing that's happening. What I find really distressing about this, of course, we already have the perfect Home Alone film. It came out in the 90s and it was Home Alone. Also, the stuff he does to these criminals isn't going to be halfway as brutal as it was in that film, is it? It's just going to be fairly sanitised Disney stuff. So no one's head's going to catch fire or anything. They'll just kind of get knocked over, probably. Yeah, I didn't know about this. I remember reading Macaulay Culkin's own pitch, which was that Kevin McAllister is an adult homeless wreck. And he tries to break into a house with an equally resourceful kid. He said, like, oh, I'd like to do it from like a yeah, grown-up Kevin McAllister whose life's hit rock bottom. And he tries to break into a house and he's versus a new kid. So it's like his resourcefulness versus a kid. But he wanted the kid to have more of a digital resourcefulness, which I guess this could also be a thing that they do. And it was going to be like a smart house thing. That sounded fun. I'd rather have watched that one if I could pick. Yeah, because I do think this is just going to turn out to be a very tame trap type movie. Yeah. Where nobody really gets hurt. The thing about the original that makes it stand the test of time is just how brutally injured these criminals are for trying to rob a house. Just the 
horrible things he does to them. That's what people still talk about. That's why people watch it every Christmas. And I feel like this one is just going to come and go and no one's really going to pay much attention to it. Yeah, it'll be on your like, Disney Plus, you know, your little like carousel of shows for like a week and then that'll be it. Yeah, exactly. Not that excited, whatever. But next up, we have a bit of awesome voice casting for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Idris Elba is going to be voicing Knuckles the Echidna which is yeah, great. Yeah, that's good. Idris Elba's always great. I hope he keeps his accent just as it is. I've not seen the first Sonic, but I might have to so I can watch this one because as far as I know, the first Sonic is good and it should be a promising thing and I'm pretty keen to watch this. i definitely watch the first one. It is really good. I really enjoyed the first one. I had a good time with it. It's better than it has any right to be, really. It's one of those. Approaching the end of our list now, some more casting for John Wick Chapter 4. Clancy Brown's now going to be in it. The director said, I have been a fan of Clancy Brown since I can remember. To have him be a part of this project is an honour. He will make a perfect addition to the world of John Wick. That's all that really says that he's going to be in this. I like Clancy Brown and stuff. He's a great voice actor. He's great in action stuff. So it's going to be good fun. Also in the film will be Keanu Reeves, Donnie Yen, and so on. Lance Reddick, Ian McShane will all be coming back. So another John Wick movie. I know you hated the third one. Yeah, that's really sad on the third one. It was a massive waste of time. But also we watched <laughs> the first two in the same week. Don't do that. Don't watch all these in a run because it's exhausting. The first 20 minutes of the third one are definitely really entertaining maybe after that it goes a bit off the rails i've only seen it the once but i didn't hate it there's only so much you can watch keanu Reeves shoot people in the head it starts off well because there's a hand-to-hand fight in a library and then they have an axe fight in like a museum full of knives or a shop that sells chef's knives whatever <laughs> but then the rest of it is just like he shoots someone else in the head and he turns and shoots someone else in the head he does that for like two hours yeah a bit put off by more john wicks it's one of these sort of things where maybe the trailer will look good and maybe there'll be nothing else on at the cinema one time and I want to see something. It'll be those two joining together to make like the Venn diagram where I go and watch this. It's a slim Venn diagram. And then you decide before you go to see it, I'm going to revisit the other three just so I can remember what's going on. And then you get to the fourth one, I don't think I can watch Keanu Reeves brutalise oh, anyone else ever again. But Clancy Brown, cool. I'm hoping that he fights John Wick. That'll be fun. Possibly with a sword and a nod to Highlander. Yeah, it'd be weird if he didn't. And then finally, Colin Trevor, he asked the stupidest question ever about Jurassic World. Would you be scared if you had a 60-foot crocodile in your street? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> what a dumb question. Well, that's not what you asked. But yeah, our final bit of news is about Jurassic World Dominion. There's some stuff about it. They showed some footage at something that people responded to, but we never really saw it. And Trevor appeared in a sizzle reel. And he says, and I quote, This movie asks a single question. If dinosaurs lived amongst us, would you be safe? And the answer is no. Yeah, surprise, surprise. So we don't need to see the film then. Thanks. Uh, you just told if us. If giant 60-foot meat-eating predators lived with you, you'd have to have a slight detail on your day. Oh, there's a T-Rex coming down the street. I'll cross the road. I think you would need to do more than that. Or just stand still, of course, because its vision is based on good. I know it's supposed to sort of sound like, oh, cool, anticipation. But yeah, yeah, obviously, like dinosaurs. We've watched like six movies where dinosaurs have been eating people. We know they're not safe. It isn't new. <laughs> It's a very redundant question. Yeah, you've really caught on to the themes of the other five films there, Colin. Yeah. Well done. So there was a sizzle reel that I will describe. The sizzle reel started with a never-before-released clip of Spielberg on the set of Jurassic Park discussing the cane belonging to Richard Attenborough's John Hammond that held a piece of flashlight amber with a mosquito inside. As explained in the first film, mosquitoes provide the key to cloning dino DNA and making the park possible in the first place. And based on the Dominion teaser poster, as well as the IMAX first look footage, which I saw in front of Fast 9. Did you, when you saw Fast 9? 
Uh, if you didn't see it in IMAX, you probably wouldn't have. I didn't see it in IMAX, yeah, I didn't get the footage. It appears to play a large role in the film as well. There's more details in the, the CinemaCon footage, which featured returning cast members Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard reminiscing about their original film. This footage is just of them talking about the film. Brilliant. As Dallas puts it, I cried the first time I saw Dinosaurs. And Trevorrow promises that Dominion will be a celebration of the franchise. And that's what you promised with Jurassic World, and that was really bad. This concludes a story that Steven Spielberg started in 1993. These quotes and interview soundbites are interspersed with footage of returning creatures like the Mosasaur, dinosaurs loose in a city, velociraptors, and the entire cast of the originals, and new faces coming face-to-face with the T-Rex. Jurassic World Dominion is set for release on June 10th, 2022. Yeah, whatever. A lot of people love Jurassic World. I hated it. So the fact that we've got Colin Trevorrow making another one of them is just not something I'm interested in, really. I've not seen any of the worlds. I wasn't that fussed about the original. <laughs> well, I love the first one. I like the second one, too. The second one's okay, but yeah, I don't really like the third one that much. Nobody does. It's not a franchise I'm super invested in. Yeah. World is very much what The Force Awakens did, and it's the same reason I didn't like The Force Awakens. It just made me wish I was watching the original again, because it just makes the same thing. Again, I did like Fallen Kingdom. That wasn't Trevorrow that directed that, though. I forget who, but I enjoyed that one. I thought that was okay. This one, Colin Trevorrow making it again, not that fussed. That stupid question is very funny. Yeah, it's a funny question to a film I won't watch. I'll watch it because I need something to complain about, don't I? Yeah, you need to be justifiably annoyed. You can't just assume you're annoyed. Something like that, yeah. Quick look on the internet. We haven't missed anything, so that's us at the end of our list. Something will break pretty soon but nothing at the moment is there anything that you picked up on as you were scouring the internet randomly that you want to discuss before we wrap up not particularly not that i can think of i think we've gone through everything cool okay thanks very much for joining for the august news roundup oh, it's nice to be here. we got some doctor who chat we got some spider-man chat we got some other stuff see you in a couple of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever the next one is yeah maybe i'll be on for spider-man trailer too <laughs> even more nothing to say about it <laughs> Maybe so. So that was the August News Roundup. We will be back next month for a September News Roundup. It's our monthly feature. I want to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And I want to thank Chris for letting me invade so that he can chat about three things and for doing the banner with his amazing photoshopping skills. It's always fun to see him putting all these disparate characters together. It's always good fun. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major podcasting app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. It does very much help the show if you do that. You can also get us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. So if you want to discuss anything that we talked about here or anything else, really hit us up in those places. We will be happy to hear from you and we'll have a chat with you. Absolutely. And as always... Hope you'll join us next time on Kneel Before Pod.